Well, good morning, church. Nothing like a little hip-hop to get you going in the morning, huh? And uh, get you set for a, a new day. It's great to see you this morning. It's great to have at this service our online viewing stream, streaming audience so we can be like one of those TV preachers we say to you streaming to us today. Welcome, okay? Uh, but they do at 9.30, and uh, it's great to see that we have people listening to us from a bunch of different places and uh, connecting that way. Hey, just a couple quick reminders as you came in. You probably saw a couple tables out in the atrium. Uh, One's dealing with the Royal Family Kids Camp and some of the things coming up there with our Endeavor 2016. Check that out. As well, Reality U, our classes uh, for adults and teens start next Sunday. Uh, We've got one on the doctrines of the church and one on a women's class on on true love and living a life of love. And so uh, I encourage you to check those out. Take part in those next week as we get started with those, and uh, should be a good time of growing and learning together. Well, as the song you just heard said, uh, we're in a ser- new, brand new series that is starting today, and uh, we're going to be talking about freedom, something that all of us, as especially Americans, that's a big deal to us, freedom uh, that we have. But this is just introducing a new series that we're going to be in, a kind of a mini-series, you know, one of those six-week six series every Wednesday night on Channel 22, okay? Um, but this will be a mini-series looking at two chapters in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 6, on the whole idea of growing good, realizing as of last week as we talked about being, death being arrested in our life because of the work of Christ, that how do we then live? If we really believe death has been arrested, if we really believe that Jesus Christ came to this world, died and rose again, and today is in heaven preparing a place for us, how ought that affect how we live? And so this series will be looking at that over these next couple weeks, and uh, I get the privilege to kick it off today and uh, talk about this whole idea of freedom. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians 5, and we're going to just kind of plant ourselves there this morning. So it'll be very easy to fall asleep. So try to hang in there with me uh, as we're going to just hang in that one passage this morning. But I want to give you just a little bit of backdrop on this whole idea of Galatians. Now, I always kind of thought Galatia, which is the, the group of people that the book of Galatians was written to, was a city. You know, it was one of the cities that Paul must have went to. But it's not. Galatia is a region in what today would be kind of the Turkey area. Uh, And I mean the country of Turkey, not, you know, Turkey area uh, of of that peninsula there, uh, central eastern Europe. And Galatia was a region, and within that region were several of the towns that we hear of uh, in Scripture. Towns like Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. Derby. You can see some of them listed there. And as you read through the book of Acts, you'll see these cities listed as places where Paul and Barnabas went and planted and began new churches. And so the book of Galatians is Paul, who's kind of not distanced himself on purpose, but he's just been away in other places, and he's hearing of some things going on in these churches that he had founded and had started and had birthed. And he's not too happy with what's going on, and so he's writing a letter to them as the Apostle Paul and giving them some guidance on some things that they were finding themselves in. And the key thing that we're going to look at today is this idea of what is freedom in Christ look like? Because 
in Galatia, they had some people coming around saying, well, freedom in Christ isn't just following Jesus Christ and believing in Jesus Christ. Freedom in Christ is Jesus Christ plus some other things that you need to do. Specifically, some people had crept in saying you need to become, in a sense, Jews in order to be truly Christian. And Paul's rebutting that and saying, no, no, no. And so, as many scholars have looked at the book of Galatians, they said in a lot of ways, it's the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. It's Paul's defense of what it means to be free. Now, how many like to be free? Oh, I guess a few of you. Okay, well, as I told the crowd last time, at least two, if only one had raised their hand, I would have stopped. But there's more free people here, and they like to know what freedom is. So we're going to talk about it this morning uh, in Galatians 5 and Galatians 6. As I mentioned, a group of people had crept in to Galatia, and we're going to call them the Judaizers. That was the title that was given to them. And what these Judaizers did was, by their name, they were trying to make the church more Jewish. In a sense, they were taking the salvation and the grace that's found in Jesus Christ, and they were adding to it the Old Testament law. They said, if you're going to be a true believer, yes, follow Jesus Christ, but as well, you need to follow the Old Testament law. And then you'll truly be saved. You'll truly enjoy the freedom that God has for you. But Paul says, no. That's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. That's not what Pastor Errol preached on last week. He preached on the freedom that comes through the work of Jesus Christ and that alone. But these Judaizers were stuck on this. And one of their key things that they kept pushing was this idea of circumcision. I didn't put any slides up drawing pictures or anything because I think we're all adults and we know what circumcision is. Okay? Circumcision was the cutting on the male Jewish men that set them apart. This was something that God had called the Jewish people to as a sign that they were different than everybody else around them. But what was happening in the churches of Galatia, these churches that were not Jewish... These were Gentiles for the most part. As you saw, this was what we today look at modern-day Turkey, Eastern Europe. This wasn't Jewish country. This was Gentile country. But yet these Judaizers had come in and said, you know what? To really be good, you're going to have to have your men circumcised as well. Well, you can bet the altar calls began to get a little slim. Okay? Because they're like, well, Paul said we just needed to believe in Jesus Christ and the work that he did. And the Judaizer says, yeah, that's good. But Paul didn't give you the full scheme. He didn't give you the full picture. You as well need to be circumcised. Now, as we're going to find out, and Paul's going to address this, circumcision is neither here nor there in our, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And you might be newer to the church. You go, you know, you mean I, I need to be circumcised? No, that's not what I'm talking about today. Paul is going to be showing us and letting us know that this whole idea of whether we need to follow the Old Testament law or not is not the pivotal issue. The pivotal issue is following Jesus Christ. And in following Jesus Christ, that's where true liberty comes. And so today, if you've got your Bibles, open up with me to Galatians 5. And we're going to just kind of walk through this passage this morning. I'm going to, be, I'm going to do a Pastor Dave on you like Pastor Dave does at Master's Men. And he kind of just walks through a passage and then we'll have some key things to end with today. So we're going to just have a Bible study, okay? Is that all right? 
Whether you like it or not, here we go. Okay. Verse 5, or verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. Paul is wanting to remind the Galatian believers, Christ died to set you free. He didn't die so that you could still be in bondage to this old law. He didn't give his life so that you'd still have to go through the whole process of circumcision and still have to follow all the Old Testament rules. He said, you have been set free. You no longer have that burden of yoke of slavery on you. And we're going to talk more about that here in just a little bit. But he says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Christ died, he arrested death so that you and I could be free. That sounds pretty good to me. And that's what Paul is reminding the Galatians. He goes on to say, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You're trying to be justified by the law, have been, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Let me just hit on a few things here. As he introduces that, mark my words, uh, the Greek word that he's using there, he, he's yelling at the people, okay? He is getting their attention, all right? If he would be talking to us today, he'd be saying, guys, listen up! To all you King James people, he'd say, behold, okay? Listen up, tune your ears in, listen to what I have to say. He says, I tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, if you follow what the Judaizers are wanting you to do, if you want to follow through and and do what they're calling you to do to somehow make you okay with God, he says, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Okay, that sounds kind of stiff. You know, if, if I go through a circumcision, you mean God's grace means nothing to me? What he's saying to the Galatian believers is, if you are looking at circumcision to save you, in a sense, you're saying that the, va- the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross is of no value to you. If the work of Jesus Christ doesn't save you, you're putting all your marbles in a bowl saying circumcision saves you. And that is not the case. It's not circumcision that saves you. It's Jesus Christ that saves you. And he says as well, if you're going to do this, look at verse 3. He says, if you're going to obey this one law that these Judaizers are calling you to, that means you're going to have to follow all the rest of the laws. And if you were at Master's Men yesterday, Pastor Dave shared about some of the crazy laws today that are in Judaism today that the rabbis and other scholars have added to the laws of God to the point today of simple crazy things like on Sabbath day, Shabbat. If you go to Israel today, there are elevators. You don't push a button on Shabbat because that's work. You know, you can't work on Shabbat, so you can't push an elevator button. So the elevator stops at every floor on Shabbat. Boy, I hope I'm not living on the 50th floor that day, okay? Take me all day just to get there. Other crazy rules were like, if your gas is left on your stove, you can't shut it off because that's work. But they made an exception so you don't die. You can use your elbow to shut it off. Okay? Now we sit there going, that's weird. It is. But that's what happens when man tries to put laws and rules on us. And Paul is saying, okay, if you're going to be circumcised, you're in a sense saying, I'm going to follow all the law. And he says, you don't want to be under that burden. You know what that burden is like. 
They had Jews amongst the congregation. They said, yeah, we know what that's like. We don't want to go there again. We don't want to be under that obligation. Paul goes on, verse 5. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And Paul is reminding each of us as we read those words. He says, for in Christ Jesus, if you're circumcised, great. If you're not circumcised, no problem. Because what counts is your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about this list of long rules. It's about your faith in Jesus Christ. And listen to that. He says it's faith that's what? Expressing itself in love. It's expressing itself in love. So this isn't just this easy believism. You know, I believe in Jesus, so I'm good. I I said a little prayer and I'm good. That's not what he's saying about that kind of faith. He says that kind of faith is expressing itself in love. You know, it's not having this great faith, but you can't love anybody. That's, he says, that's not really faith. In fact, you read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, as I like to call it. Paul says, you can have all these spiritual gifts. You can talk in tongues like men and of angels. You can have all these gifts. But he says, if you have not love, you have what? Nothing. You are nothing. And so Paul is reminding here. He says, this whole thing of circumcision or non-circumcision... That's not the point. You need to have a faith that is expressing itself in love. A faith in Jesus Christ that others can see, experience, and feel that is coming out of your life. Verse 7, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. In a sense, a little sin, a little uh, adding to, works its way through everything. He says, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Now, Paul uses a great illustration that he uses over and over in his writings. And that is the illustration of running a race. You find it in Paul's uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, I finished the course, I finished my race. You find him in other places saying, run the race to win. Here he says, you were running a good race, but someone cut in on you. Now, let me tell you, Paul's idea of a race is far different than our idea of what we think today, especially as we're getting ready for the Olympics here in just a couple months, uh, of looking at the reality of people running around on a track in an oval and staying in their lane. In Paul's day, running a race, and let me tell you, we think we're sports fans today. Back in Paul's day, athleticism was a huge deal. Athletes were looked upon as role models. They were looked up to. And so, so athleticism was a key thing for Paul to write in because the people understood that. They knew what it was about. And so he's expressing to them, here's what running a race was in Paul's generation. People lined up here at the starting line, just at like, what's the race today in Chicago? The Shamrock Shuffle. Isn't that it? Shamrock Shuffle. Hey, cool. All right. They're lining up at the shamrock shuffle line. But instead of going through the streets and coming back around and coming to the finish line, in Paul's day, they would run to a predetermined place. Most often, a stake was placed in the ground. They had measured how far it was going to be. And they would run to that stake, run around that stake, and come back to the finish line, and that would be their victor. And so you can get this picture view of all these people. I love running with all these people. I can win this way. Okay? (laughs) 
And they're coming to this stake in the ground. What do you have to do? Everybody's trying to get in as close as they can. And you're out in front. You think you've got everything in line. Okay? Everything's going great. And you're right at the stake. And here comes somebody from the outside. And they cut in on you. They cut you up. You trip all over. And you're trying to catch up. But you can never get back up. And that's the picture that Paul is giving here of what it means to run the race and to be cut off. We know what it's like just driving our freeways around Chicago, okay? Um, I don't know if they had the same reaction then too, but, but the idea was they were running and you were doing so good. You were almost to the post and ready to run around and somebody's cut in on you. And that's what Paul is coming to and illustrating to them, these Judaizers, they've cut in on you, they've tripped you up, and you're not living the gospel I told you about and called you to. And so Paul pleads with them. In verses 11 to 11 and 12, he says, brothers and sisters, family, guys, I love you to death. If I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. We'll get to verse 12 in just a minute. But verse 11, Paul uses this argument throughout his writing in various cases. He says, you know what? If I'm preaching the truth, I'm going to be persecuted. If I'm not preaching the truth, then I'm not going to be persecuted and I'll be able just to fit right in with everybody and life will be hunky-dory. But he's saying here, why am I still being persecuted? Because I'm speaking the truth. I'm speaking against this idea that circumcision saves you. It doesn't save you. In fact, as we read earlier, it doesn't matter. He says Christ alone saves you. And he says because I'm preaching that, I'm being persecuted. Now it sounds a little different than what we hear on our TV preachers today and others that tell us, you know, serve God, live for him, speak the truth, and life will be nice and easy. God will bless you. You won't know what to do with all God's blessings. I believe God does bless us. Don't get me wrong. But when we're truly following Jesus in a world that is totally counter to what the beliefs in Christ are, guess what? We're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And we are going to be persecuted. And Paul is using that argument. He says, I know, I stand out like a sore thumb amongst you and those Judaizers who think you've got to add the law and circumcision and all these things to salvation. But he says, I believe strongly that this is the gospel that Jesus Christ has spoken and presented to me and I am passing on to you. That faith in Jesus Christ alone is our salvation. Now what gets crazy is when you get to verse 12 and I don't know, how come I get these crazy verses? He says, as for those agitators, you know, an agitator, those of you that do your wash, you know, at home in the washing machine, you know, some of you are high fluting now and have your high efficiency and you don't have that anymore. But for us commoners, we still got that agitator. We got to, you know, it agitates one way through the, through the laundry room, then it agitates back the other way, you know. But it's, it's causing disruption. And he says, for those that are causing disruption, I wish they'd go the whole way and just cut it off. <laughs> Apostle Paul, we're going to be preaching in 2016 and we're trying to be family oriented. Okay? 
But Paul is trying to give the absurdity. You're asking these grown men, these Gentiles that have sacrificed and surrendered their life to Christ, you're asking them to go through the process of circumcision when it has nothing to do with their relationship with Jesus Christ because you guys think that's the right thing to do so that they'll look like you? He says, that's not the point. He says, I feel so strongly about this. He says, you know, if you're going to just cut a little, why don't you just cut a lot? And all the guys are just kind of, okay. All right, pastor, let's move on. But really, he's saying, let's go Lorena Bobbitt, all right? Let, let's, just, let's just go crazy on this. And I know that's silly and sick, but that's what Paul is writing. You guys think the Bible's boring. It's not. It's not. Paul is getting right in their face. He's saying, that's, you know, you want to go that direction, just go all the way. And here's the sad part. If you study your Old Testament at all, emasculated men could not worship in the temple. They had no process in the sacrifice. They were unclean. Paul's like, you want to go all the way? Do that, and you'll just be unclean for everything. Very harsh words. Let's move on, though. Um, Our passage that we're going to finish up today with this verse, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Okay? You guys were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Saying your freedom isn't this freedom to do whatever you want to do. This freedom isn't for you just to indulge your flesh and say, hey, I'm free, I've got God's grace, I can just keep living and living, I don't have to have guilt, I don't have to have regret, I can just do whatever feels like I want to do right now. And Paul says, that is not true. The grace of Jesus Christ has saved you from your sin. He hasn't saved you so you can keep on sinning, he saved you from your sin. And we're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. But here's a great... uh, great phrase just to think of this whole idea of what true freedom is in Jesus Christ. And this is kind of what we're going to be talking about here for the last few moments together. True freedom is the liberty to live out the life God has called me to. Love God and love others as he created me to do so. That is what true freedom is. True freedom isn't for me to do whatever I want to do. True freedom is the liberty to live out the life God has called me to. And so I want to leave you today with three ways of how you can choose to live your life because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Two of these will leave you just as bondage and stuck as you were before Christ, but one will leave you free. And so listen up this morning, and I think each of us will find areas in our life that we can grow. Like I said, what Paul is trying to give to us is some practical advice on how to live out our life now that we've come to Jesus Christ. And we all know that when we come to Jesus Christ, that's that point, that point where we make that decision, but then the rest of our life is that process of what God wants to do in our life. So let's look at it. The first one is this. We can live our life with a license to sin. And we just were talking about that in verse 13. That the Judaizers and others had said, you know what, Paul's grace is going to just allow you to do whatever you want. The word in verse 13 there is to indulge. The Greek word means to give opportunity for or make an excuse for. He says, 
Don't let the grace that you've experienced and the freedom you have in Jesus Christ as your excuse to keep on sinning. And as you dig deeper into this Greek word, offerman, it comes, its original term and where it began was in a military setting as a base of operations. The base of operations for a, a military conflict was called this offerman. And this word was in a sense saying, don't let the grace of Jesus Christ be your base of operations so you keep on sinning. Don't let this grace thing be your free ticket to do whatever you want to do. That's not what you've been called to do. We know what it's like. A lot of us, we leave the house for the first time going off to college or getting a job or getting our own apartment. And all of a sudden, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last, okay? You know, I don't have mom and dad looking over my shoulder all the time. I can do what I want to do, eat what I want to eat, go where I want to do, do what I want to do. And we think that's freedom. But after a while, we find out that freedom binds us. And it holds us. And it destroys us. But yet we have people today living like that, that that's the way Christ's freedom works in our life. That Christ has set me free so I can do whatever I want to do. If I want to sleep around, I can sleep around because I've got God's grace. He'll just forgive me. It's okay. Ooh, it's getting quiet in here. I've got pe- we've got people say, you know what? We'll just live together for a while. That's what the world does, and that, that's what we can test it out and we can see. But does God's word say that? No, it doesn't. But yet we do that. And we think, oh, I've got this license. I've got God's grace. You know, not that we get up in the morning and go, okay, let me see how much I can sin today because I got God's grace. But yet how we live can demonstrate that. We can give ourselves to drunkenness and hang out with just the regular guys like everybody else, be as drunk and blasted as everybody else. Think, hey, you know, God will help me in the morning with this hangover. And we're no different than the world around us and the cesspool that it is. We don't monitor or filter what's going in our eyes and our ears that we need to. And we wonder why, even today, not just a few miles down the road in Chicago, why life doesn't even seem to matter anymore to so many people. The church is not a place of grace just to let us have this free pass to do whatever we want, but yet sometimes we live like that. We think, you know what? We can gossip just like everybody else because, you know, God will set us free. In fact, we we put it as a prayer request. How can I pray for you? We'll cheat other people. Well, it's, you know, God's increasing me this way. No, he's not. We can go with our even vulgar language. I know I'm stepping on some toes this morning. Send all all letters to Pastor Errol McFadden. Uh, He let me preach this morning. So, uh, but let's be honest, some of us, our, our tongue, our vulgar language, we're no different than the guy we're working next to at the, at the site. And you know, okay, let me say it's one thing, you know, you're hanging around that all day, that's all you're hearing. But then we bring that same language home. We bring that same dirty stories home. We talk like that. We wonder why our kids have that kind of language. 
Paul says, don't let your freedom in Jesus Christ to give you that freedom just to live however you want to. He says, you have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Live a life that demonstrates it. Live a life that demonstrates it. An illustration I often give um, baseball players, and as some of you know, I used to be a chaplain with uh, minor league baseball teams, and um, I'd always give them this illustration. I, I'd tell the guys, what would happen, you think, if we took away the lines, took away the bases, took away the outfield fence, took away the umpire, threw out the rule book, and said, play baseball? They're like, well, you couldn't. But I said, well, that's, but I'm giving you freedom. You can do whatever you want to do. You can play it however you want to. You can play as, as whatever. You can hit the ball that way. You can hit the ball. You can throw people. You don't even have to tag anybody anymore and they're out. And they would all look at me and go, Pastor Brent, there's no way we could play baseball without the lines. True. And the same is true for us as followers of Jesus Christ. There's no way we can live this life outside the lines that God's given us without the consequences of chaos and craziness in our life. God has given us the lines of the baseball field. He's given the umpires of his word in our life to check us, to guide us. He's given us so much freedom, but he says, here's some rules that will help you to play the best. And every baseball player will tell you every one of those rules, every part of that line in that field is an opportunity to play the game freely. Play it for what it's worth and what it was made for. And the same is true in our lives of Jesus Christ. God has put the lines in our life to play this life for Jesus Christ in the way he intended it to be played. Amen? Amen. Yeah, it's a little quiet. But um, thank you, thank you. Paul says this in Romans, almost the exact same thing. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Because here's how our wonderful human minds think, okay? If I sin more, God's grace is going to be even more because he's going to have to forgive even more. So I'll just keep sinning more and more and then God's grace is going to just pour down on me more and more and more. And you're like, Pastor Brent, I like that message. But that's not the message. Paul says, are you serious? Are you idiots serious? I mean, that's what he'd be saying. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, by no means. Don't do it. Don't do it. All right, we've talked enough about license. Let's go on to the next one. Legalism. Legalism. This is a way that oftentimes Christians can live their life too and still be in bondage because they're, they're living their life for a bunch of rules. Legalism, in its simple definition, is an obligation or a dependence upon the law for righteousness. That if I follow the right rules, then God will love me enough. But as we heard last week, the love of Jesus Christ overcomes everything in every part of our life. God doesn't wait for us to get good enough for him, but he takes us just like we are. But yet, even as we come to Christ, we can do this crazy thing called legalism. And we can begin to add all these things. And that's what these Judaizers were doing. They were telling the believers, okay, it's not just good enough to believe in Jesus Christ. You've got to have the circumcision thing too. We might say, well, you know, 
I didn't see that circumcision, circumcision thing on the NBC membership form because it's not needed. It's not important, but yet we put other things. We take sometimes good things and make them legalists. Some of us from our different church backgrounds that we maybe come from have come from rules that have just been over the top. I mean, my background is kind of that way. I had a mom told stories of how many times, you know, couldn't wear makeup, you couldn't do your nails, you couldn't do all this stuff because if you did, you weren't a young woman of Christ. You couldn't wear your hair a certain way. You could, you know, all these rules that we can put on people to somehow, quote, unquote, make them a good Christian. We can even take good things like reading our Bible, and I hope you are doing that on a daily basis, but don't make this a legalism thing thinking, okay, start the timer, boom, okay. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, good, 15 minutes in, I'm good with God today. Woo! Okay? That's what legalism is. Ooh, I'm on my knees. 30 minutes. Beep. Okay, God, sorry, I got cut you in mid-sentence. My beeper went off. We're good today, and now me and God are Okay? Don't get me wrong, reading your Bible, praying are awesome things, but they need to come out of a heart of love, not a heart of legalism. We can make things like, okay, you got to give so much to be a member of this church. you got to do this to be a part of Christ's church. You've got to read a certain version of the Bible, or you got to listen to only this type of music. And we can go through all these things, and some of you might think, that's rent, that's weird. It is weird. But there are churches out there today acting like that. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a need for rules. There's needs for law in our lives to guide us, as we talked about earlier. With the license, there needs to be rules. But the example of legalism is somehow we're taking our faith and we're basing it on our actions rather than on the work of Jesus Christ. Legalism is no way to live. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not to bring us into Judaism, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is to bring people into the kingdom of God. And that's what Paul was trying to get across to the Galatians. This isn't about making these people Jewish. This isn't about making people deform to your laws and to your works. It's about bringing people into the kingdom of God and making them Christ-like. So don't let legalism be the way that you live. Finally, the way he calls us to live is with liberty. And as you saw in that very first verse in Galatians 5, you've been set free for freedom's sake. Freedom is the very heart of the gospel of Paul. For God sets us free so that we can love others and love God in the way he's called us to be. I often look at it this way. I can see God for who he truly is and so respond and worship and service to him when I am truly living in the freedom of God. When I'm truly living in the freedom that Christ has given me, I can see my fellow man as only God sees him and love him like I've never been able to love before. That's what true freedom does. Scott McKnight, in his commentary, life application commentary, says it so well, so I'm going to let him speak for me this morning. He says, freedom is not being turned free to be whatever we want. That's egocentrism. Nor is it some kind of self-discovery or self-authentication. That too is egocentrism. Rather, it is being incorporated in the life of God, which he mediates to us through Christ and allows us to joy in the spirit. Being free is liberated to be what God wants us to be and to do what God wants us to do. 
One is set free to do what is right and to be what one ought to be. I've often paraphrased that to simply say, God has set me free, not for me to do what I want to do, but to do what I ought to do. God has set me free to be that person that he's called me to be. Freedom to love as only he can love. Freedom to have joy in my life no matter what the circumstances are. Freedom in my life to have a peace that comes from God that passes all understanding. A a way of life that true freedom isn't all about me anymore, but it's all about me living for him. And as Pastor Nick stated, told me last night, this is his line. He says, true freedom is liberty to live out the life God has called me to. That's what true freedom is. Freedom in Christ is not just a freedom from sin, but as you hear Pastor Errol and others say it so often around here, our freedom is a freedom for something as well. He's called us for a freedom to love others, to care for others, and to worship our God. Our freedom in Christ isn't for me just to do whatever I want to do and be free as a bird and go, I don't have to listen to or mark anybody anymore. I can just do my own thing. That's not what God's freedom is. God's freedom is to be the person God created you to be, the real you. That's true freedom. I'm going to ask a friend of mine to come up this morning, Eric Danielson. He's part of our security team here at NBC, so you guys be on your best behavior. He's got his talking in his ear. I'm on my way up to the stage. Okay? So be on your best behavior. But I'm going to have him help me this morning demonstrate as we wrap up this morning what freedom can mean in our life. And uh, I hope he's trained well on these handcuffs, so this could get interesting. Ah! Ah! No, I'm just teasing. Oh. I am... Yeah. You seem to know what to do, Court. I'm just teasing you. This is our life before Christ. And we try to live like this. We're like, yes, I'm free. Woo! You know, we're running around. I'm free! And we're running like a girl. I'm sorry, ladies. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, but we're running around like this, and we're thinking, man, life is good, isn't it? You know, let me love you. <laughs> you know, and, and, and we can't, we can't, and we're thinking, man, this is really living. Woo! And then all of a sudden, we're like, this isn't any fun anymore. And the addictions, the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups, as CR calls them, grab hold of and we're in bondage. And we realize this isn't really living. And we come to Christ. You can come back with your key now. Come on. In your pocket? Yeah. Yeah. No, don't you. And uh, we think, okay. And we're like, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free at last. Free at last. But yet we go right back to putting the handcuffs on again. As we live in our sin. And we run life. I'm free, I think. I'm free. I keep telling myself I'm free. We live in our legalism. 
we're trying to be good enough for God, and we're like, this doesn't feel as free as they told me it was going to be. Because we're still trusting in laws, we're still trusting in our good workmanship, we're still trusting in all these things. Or we might even be the totally opposite. We're like, I got grace. I can do whatever I want to. Look at I can clap my hands. I'm like, that's not really clapping. We're like, okay, I think I can love. You know, but that's not really hugging, okay? I know, I creeped you out, didn't I? Um, <laughs> but that's not really living. But yet we do that. But until we recognize the full scope of what we learned last week, that death has been arrested. The cuffs have come off of me, and the cuffs have now been put on death and sin. We're finally free. We're finally free. And we're not free just so I can do whatever I want to do and just bounce all over and throw my glasses off if I want to and, and, and just do whatever. But I am free to finally love the God who made me in a way that only I could love because of Jesus Christ. And I'm finally free to love others the only way that I can love through the work of Jesus Christ in my life. And that, my friend, is true freedom. That is true freedom. This morning, I know I've stepped on toes. I've stepped on my own toes this morning. So if I'm stepping on my own, I've probably stepped on a few of yours too. And I do so in a way, hopefully, not to judge, not to point fingers, but to open our eyes to areas in our life that we need to surrender to Jesus Christ. Let me close with this. Interesting point one scholar made as he read through Galatians 5 specifically, but really Galatians as a whole. He said, you know, there's this crazy theme about cutting that Paul seems to have through this. You know, circumcision. We know what circumcision is, okay? Cutting. We had this race idea. What did he say? You've got people cutting in on you. He says, you know, in verse 12 there, the verse I don't help I ever have to preach on again, you know, he says, go cut it all off. You're like, oh, okay. This idea of cutting, he said, maybe it's to get that subtle message through that there are areas in our life that need to be cut in order for true freedom to really exist. And I challenge each and every one of us to look into our lives and allow the Holy Spirit really to look into our lives and show us things. Are there some licenses to sin that need to be cut out? Are there some legal activity, legalism kind of activity where we're, we're judging ourselves by this and this and this rather than by the grace of Jesus Christ? And allow the knife of the Holy Spirit to cut and to bring cleansing and wholeness. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's just bow our hearts in prayer and just ask for the Holy Spirit to continue his work in our life. Father God, we just come to you this morning and ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just guide and direct into our lives. Speak your wholeness, but as well, Lord, speak your truth. And God, all of us standing here this morning before you have areas in our life that need some cutting, some reshaping, 
so that we will continue to look more and more like you. God, the amazing thing is in Scripture, as we see your story, is you came and met people right where they were at, and we are so grateful for that. You didn't wait for them to become someone or something before you went to them. You simply came to them, even in their sin, even in their religiosity, and you met them right there. And I pray, Lord, you do the same with us today. Just meet us right where we're at. Do your work in our lives and help each and every one of us to find what it means to live in freedom for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great, great day. 